to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking galore. Debunk, debunk. Uh, we got some debunking possibly to do today? Ooh. Um, we're doing something. We haven't, I don't think we've done this before, have we? I truly don't remember what we're talking about today, so I could not answer that question. <laughs> we are taking a look back at a case that we covered in our a ghost story days, in our baby podcasting days. Which one? my god you really <laughs> you're such a space cadet it's like you're planning a wedding or something i don't even know who knew <laughs> so wait when I, I i when i was texting you the other day being like man my mind is being blown you were just like that's right girl your mind's being blown i can't wait to hear about it you had yeah. no idea what i was talking about <laughs> correct yep yep that Accurate. somehow makes this whole thing even more fun for me. Okay, all right. So then, then this is going to be a little bit of uh, an adventure for you as well, my friend. Um, I'll buckle up. I, I do feel like I have to give our listeners a disclaimer again. I, I apologize, y'all, because you know what I'm going to be talking about again? Uh-oh, what? A case from Washington State. Ooh. Well, like in my defense, we, just, we have some weird stuff here. Right. Yeah, and and like Bigfoots too. Bigfoots. We've had some pretty strange characters, and uh, so I keep returning to the stories of my home state. I, I can't help it. We we've got some we've got some history here. We've got some history. Washington does. Uh, so we first talked about Billy Ghoul. Oh yes. As a bonus Halloween episode back in I think what 2019. What year is it now? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. It's, it's 2030. Who knows? Who uh, knows? It's been a stretch. And and I, uh, Ghost Stories, I think, is still available, but also... It is. It's, it's a little rough. <laughs> it's definitely like the beginnings of us figuring out how to do a podcast. So I feel like there's a bit of a flow that we have now that was not necessarily present back yeah. then. Well, I mean, even some, you know, it's funny. I was, I was re-listening to a couple of our early episodes and there was the part of me cringing. Cause I was like, Oh, 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 okay. okay oh, was the audio really bad? <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's not as good. And I mean, just, we didn't quite, have our format down yet so mm. you could hear us like we're trying things we're experimenting a little um i like even my research skills i feel like have have improved since we yeah. started uh i would imagine so you yeah. live you learn you live you learn uh but but anyway it's been a hot second since we've talked about billy ghoul and um even when I covered him back in 2019, uh, I did not get to do the level of digging I wanted. It was a pretty quick episode. I think it was 15 or 20 minutes. It was a solo mm -hmm. episode. Uh, so it's been on my radar to revisit. I had recently purchased a book that had been written about him, and I'll be talking a little bit more about that. Um, so what we know about Billy Ghoul. and this is something I know just from growing up in the area. Uh, he was convicted of killing two men. But he was suspected of being a serial killer. Oh, row. 
killing as many as 40 to even 100 men. What? That's a lot. That's a lot. Somewhere between 1902 and 1910. And this this is ringing a bell at all for yes. you. Yes. Yes. I you remember were... Billy Ghoul. Yes. When I talked about him in my dark history class yes, as well. I remember that too. Uh, now, as the story goes, Billy, who worked as a union rep for the Sailors Union, he used his position to lure sailors and workers to his offices. He would look if anyone was around. <laughs> Always good to check. Always good to check. Grab his gun from his desk, shoot them in the face or the back, Oof. rob them, dump their bodies down a trash chute, which led to the river. Uh, there's even some stories of him using a boat to murder some people. He would question sailors first about like, hey, y'all, you got any family? You got any friends? Do you have people in your lives who may or may not miss you if you go missing? Which is a good life lesson. Like, if someone starts asking you about how close your family is, you're like, so close. I have 12 brothers and sisters, and they are like, we're all up in each other's lives. They'll notice the second I don't check in. That's the answer. Yeah, that's the answer. You have lots of people that care about you, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. you have psychic family members psychic who know where you fam- are at all times. My dog moonlights as a medium. My dog is a literal medium. <laughs> it's a medium-sized dog. Uh, yep. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so this is the story as I first reported. This is the story that that I learned. This is the story I learned growing up. This is the local lore about Billy Ghoul. Um, this is what you found in all the papers at the time. But as I started reading this book, uh, it is called The Port of Missing Men, Billy Ghoul, Labor and Brutal Times in the Pacific Northwest. It is by Aaron Goings. Ooh, is he coming or is he going? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) My mind was mildly blown because Aaron Goings presents a a very different perspective on the story. Cool. Um, And and I do want to make clear, it, it is the conclusion he's drawn from his research. Sure. History like this... We do not know for sure. We can simply look at the evidence. 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 Examine the facts as we see them and draw our own conclusions. Uh, But there is not an absolute right or an absolute wrong because a lot of it has been lost to history. So we're going to be looking at Billy Ghoul again today and try to figure out where that line between evidence. 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 And myth really lies. Because we're either dealing with a vicious serial killer or we're looking at a guy who was falsely accused and slandered because of local union politics. Oh, yeah. So not much is known about Billy's early life. We know he was born in Germany on February 6th of 1873 to Herman and Marie Gould. His given name was actually Wilhelm Johann Hermann Gould. Which is a mouthful. Kim's favorite name. It, it is a pretty good name. Wilhelm is very pleasing to say. Uh, by the time he got to the U.S., he had adjusted it to William Gould. Funnily enough, though, he, so he's referred to as Billy. Like, in all the histories, you see him referred to as Billy. But he preferred William, and that's what he went by. The nickname Billy actually popped up in a letter that was written attacking him. And so he kind of 
got started as, as being called Billy as a means of, of like a dig. The same way, like, I don't like being called Kimmy. And I have a few friends who will call me Kimmy when they want to deliberately, like, poke the bear. Uh, rude. Poke rude. the Kimmy. Rude. So trying to figure out fact from fiction with his early life was also a struggle because he, like many, embellished parts of his early years. What we do know about him mostly comes from things he himself said. So it's not the most reliable narrator. His own account of his early life is that he went to school in Berlin until he was 12, and then he entered the Leibniz Gymnasium, which from what I could gather was basically just their upper-level schools, like high school. Uh, He was quite the reader. And besides German, he spoke English quite well, and he wrote quite well. Uh, He had brown hair, although I saw a few accounts that said he had fair hair. And later in life, he was shaving his hair, so... He just kind of had this really impressive mustache. Yes, I remember that picture of that mustache. It's really distinct. And that's the picture that tends to get floated around. That's We'll post that one to our Instagram, of course. Uh, most of what I'd see described him as being stocky. But where some of the accounts said he was short and compared him to a bulldog, <laughs> I also read a few accounts placing him at six foot two. That's very different. That's not short, friends. <laughs> I'm 5'1", 6'2", is over a foot. Yeah, like, that's tall. That's tall. So, but like you can tell, our story is already getting a little muddy, and it's only going to get more so. At some point, he left Germany, and according to a 1929 article in the News Tribune, Billy was accused of murder in Germany and fled Uh to Australia. He had further trouble in Australia, and that sent him to the U.S. However, I found no actual source... To back up these claims, I did find one source that had him leaving Germany in 1896, and we know that by 1900, a census shows Billy living in San Francisco in a boarding house with his occupation being listed as seaman. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be saying seaman a lot, so all y'all who need to have a quick chuckle about it, get it out of your system. Lol, 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 lol. Maybe I'll just start saying sailor pervs. Uh, Now, at this point in time, he would have been about 27 years old. And he talked very openly about the places he traveled. He he talked about going to Australia as a sailor and to the UK, that he still had friends and connections there that he was still in touch with. So uh, personally, I kind of find that to be a little bit more believable reason that he became a sailor and started traveling. Yeah. Now, being a sailor was hard and dangerous work. Billy himself wrote in an editorial that was uh, all about the importance of hiring qualified sailors. Their hazardous calling demands the highest intelligence and a clearly defined knowledge and understanding of every particular branch of his occupation are absolutely necessary if the seaman is to protect ship, passengers, and cargo when emergencies arise. And part of what I f- why I find this really significant is that, like, history has portrayed him as this kind of thuggish brute. And, like, he's no stranger to violence, um, but he was a skilled man. He was an intelligent man. He had more education than your average worker would have in the early 20th century world. 
At some point, he did appear to have worked or at least spent some time in Alaska, most likely around 1900 or 1901, according to some interviews he gave. Mm -hmm. He said he worked as a contract laborer and helped to build some lighthouses. Oh. After his murder arrest, a man named Charles Jacobson, who was a former friend of his, accused Ghoul of burning down a saloon to get back at him. Uh, There's also some kind of bonkers stories about... Like, apparently he ate a guy during a blizzard and some other... But see, this is just it. All of these stories came out, like, after his arrest. Hmm. So I I kind of question how much of this is just sort of that building of the boogeyman. Right. Which we saw... um, it wasn't an episode, it was a tea and true crime I did, but with H.H. Holmes. When yeah. you look into the real history of H.H. H. Holmes, he's much less a, a boogeyman figure than like a guy kind of trying to make money and having some unfortunate decisions made that led to a few people dying. Uh, but the legend of H.H. H. Holmes far surpassed the actual truth. Which is common. Which is extremely common when we're dealing with these kinds of stories, which is part of why I find them really interesting, but also frustrating, because for someone like me who really wants to try to get to what happened, uh, all the conflicting reports and data, you start to come down to really just like, what source do you believe? Yeah, what's more legit? What's more legit? What do I find the most compelling? Um, Because, again, history is told by the people left to tell it. That's true. So Billy eventually made his way to Washington State. He settled in Grays Harbor, more specifically Aberdeen, Washington, in 1903. And if Aberdeen is ringing a bell, which it might for locals and non-locals, it has a little bit of notoriety attached to it. I was a lumber and shipping town. At the time, it was nicknamed the hellhole of the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful. Well, I, I know a few people from Aberdeen who say the nickname still holds true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aberdeen. No disrespect intended. Uh, have you ever been to Aberdeen? I have not. I've driven through it. Yeah. Isn't that where uh, Kurt Cobain was from? It is. That's where most people know it. It is the birthplace of Kurt Cobain, of Nirvana. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I've driven through it a lot. It's been years since I've actually stopped in the town. Um they do have, they have a Dairy Queen, at least the last time I was through, they had a Dairy Queen and they had an Orange Julius and I got really excited because I love me some Orange Julius and I never get to have it anymore. So I got, I got an Orange Julius and life was good. Nice. It was, uh, it was a good day for me. So <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was the important thing was the Orange Julius, hashtag yes. Orange Julius, hashtag Orange Julius, semi-free Orange Juliuses. Hashtag Orange Julius should sponsor our podcast. Hashtag this is the most times anyone has said Orange Julius in a two-minute period in probably (laughs) ever. (laughs) True. True. Anyway. So like I said, it was a lumber town. Uh, They would export their lumber via water primarily. So you had a lot of sailors coming through, which is most likely how Billy found his way there. Aberdeen was a little rough and tumble town in the early years. Lots of saloons, lots of brothels, mostly men. If I recall the statistics, it was like not quite two-thirds of the population, I believe, were were menfolk. Which is, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of unwashed gentlemen. 
It's a lot of testosterone, it's, if you ask me. Oh, there's a lot of something. A good number of the unmarried women you would find around were probably not working in the saloons as waitresses. Ahem. They were dance hall girls. They were sex workers. Uh, some of them might even run brothels of their very own. Yay. Get it, girl. Get it. <laughs> So one of the things I really want to stress, though, is how dangerous it was to be working these labor jobs. Yeah. During the first chunk of the 20th century, loggers were dying at the highest rate of any job on the Pacific coast. Those who were part of any lumber manufacturing were part of the second most dangerous job, and it was common for them to be knocked in the water, have accidents that could result in, in being maimed, in drowning, in death. Uh, being a sailor was also not looked at as an admirable job. So being a sailor, you were probably looked down upon and, and treated kind of like a tough, and nobody treated you particularly well or paid you particularly well. And, I mean, this was another thing we talked about in an old ghost episode. Mm -hmm. uh, Shanghai. You talked about oh, that, yeah. didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yep. Shanghai tunnels in Portland. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and sailors who were essentially being kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. Forced into being sailors. Basically. Forced into being sailors. It was awful. Suicide was pretty common. Um, giving, I mean, like there's really no other way to say it, given how shitty it was. Yeah. So finding dead bodies in the river not that uncommon. The men found in the water would become known as the floater fleet. <laughs> oh, no, that sounds like it's a different reference. It, it does. It does. Uh, between 1903 and 1910, somewhere between 40 to 200 men were found floating dead in the Chehalis oh, and no. Wishka River in the area. So it was, it was a rough life. Billy lived a rough life. And he's kind of hoping to maybe do something more with his life. So he settles in Aberdeen, and by July of 1903, he's become a branch agent for the Sailors Union Pacific. Cool. So he's a union agent for fishermen, sailors, in the Grace Harbor area. With all of his years at sea, this seems like a natural fit. Sure. And even if his history is a little vague on some of the details, like, Billy is not the kind of guy who's going to back down from a fight. Like, a fight with words, a fight with your... Fisticuffs, like yeah. he's he's there for it, and and that does kind of make him an ideal union man. He's somebody who will advocate for the sailors. And at this point in time, he was also a man who enjoyed his alcohol. Billy sure. and I had that in common. Hey, hey. Uh, this is where there are once again some hugely varying accounts of his behavior. Because some of the accounts talked about how much he enjoyed his relationships with the local ladies of the night and was sure. a little bit of a brute with them, which could very well be true for no other reason than it was, I mean, you know, 1903. And right. Timing. Timing and men and dot, 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 dot. But even <laughs> brutes can find love because he met a woman named Edith Bessie Hager. Edith. Yes. Bessie had a rough life. She was one of nine children. Her father was already pretty old by the time she was born. He died when she was quite young. There's been a lot of speculation as to how Billy met Bessie, under what context. If she had been a dance hall girl or a working girl, we don't have any hard evidence. Evidence. To back that up. But one story about how they met was reported by Grace Harbor Post editor J.W. Clark. And what he said is, this is... So delightful. Billy got mean drunk one night and got fresh. 
She landed one on his chin that knocked him down, then kicked him in the ribs. Billy admired her courage. He liked that kind of rough and tumbled courtship, and shortly thereafter, they got married. What a couple. What a couple. Although, you know, I gotta say, Bessie's kind of my hero from this. Like, she dude's getting like a badass. Yeah, like, he's getting fresh with her. She knocks him out. <laughs> like, respect, Bessie. Hell yeah. They did get married soon after, though. They were married on May 16th of 1905. And honestly, by all accounts, like, they were happy. The Tacoma Daily Ledger would say of the match, his relations in his own home were of the most pleasant character. He always appeared very fond of his wife, and the two were to be seen frequently taking a quiet stroll together. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Now let me be clear. Uh Uh-oh. Having a loving relationship with your wife is no way, shape, or form mean you couldn't also be a serial killer. Hello, Gary Ridgway and his third wife. Sure. You can be in love with someone... And be a brutal killer. Sure. It does flesh his character out a bit. And he was becoming a prominent figure in the area. Not really making friends or endearing himself to any of the business owners of the lumber yards or shipyards. Uh, He did not like scabs. Not like the ones you pick at. I was like, wait, what? Someone who crosses a picket line or who won't join the union, basically. Oh, yeah. got it. Non-union workers. So if I'm, if I'm striking and a scab is somebody who crosses the picket line to, to work while I'm, like, striking. That uh, makes sense. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, like, it's a thing. And, and again, unions, like, it's a thing now. But back in the early 1900s, that was a thing. Uh Billy was hardcore. During a a maritime strike in 1906, he not only led an attack on some scab workers, he apparently broke his hand, giving a, quote, genuine thrashing to a scab worker. Although some accounts said that the worker also accosted his wife. So I'm like, all right, the guy may have had it coming. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like he was asking for it. It's, I mean, so there was a $10 fine for that, which is nothing to poo-poo at in in that time. Um, But I think he thought it was worth it. Sure. Uh, And, like, solving things with a fist was was also just something you did then? That was kind of normal. It was, especially in Aberdeen, like, Aberdeen, man. So, 1906, there's this maritime strike. Billy led a storming of a ship called the Centralia. Oh. Stormed the dock, boarded the ship, and according to the manager of one of the mills, when he gave his account, he said, Agent Ghoul of the Seamen's Union and a number of other men jumped onto the deck, disregarding the orders of the special police officer, Captain Erickson, and myself. When I saw that the mob would not heed the instructions given... I went to the side of the vessel and fired a shot. Ghoul drew a revolver from his pocket and fired it into the air. I was standing with my hands behind my back when this incident occurred. After firing, Ghoul pointed his revolver at my body, saying, If you make a move, you'll get yours. Ooh, shoot. Shoot, ha, shoot. Uh, I didn't even mean to do that. That was an accident. (laughs) Ghoul's defense is that they heard that the crew on the ship had been shanghaied. So he, in his mind, was potentially rescuing some sailors. Okay. And despite how heated the exchange got, Billy escorted one of the scab workers to safety and kept the crowd from getting to him, even as the crowd is, you know, hollering like, hang the dude, kill him. Dang. 
But this would not be the only altercation he would have like this. Uh, he was a staunch defender of his fellow union workers, but he was gaining a lot of enemies. He had another altercation with a ship called the Fearless that resulted in a gun battle between him, his men, and the ship. Oh, dang. Apparently for a half an hour, they just shot at each other. That's effective. Uh, it's effective. He was arrested. He was he was heavily fined for that, and that put a big strain on him. Uh, he could have served some serious jail time, and he had people who had previously been supporting him who were like, mm, I'm not sure if you're dealing with these situations too well. Allegedly. Allegedly. And this is, again, th- well, because this is, again, going into the stories reported word of mouth that grew after he had been arrested. But shortly after he had gotten word that a few of the scabs from the fearless were back, he sent word to them that another non-union boat needed men. According to the story, Billy said, after I got them on my boat, I took them out to the bar at low tide. I made them get out on the spit. Then I held a gun on them until the tide came in. Another variation on the story I read reported uh, by a saloon owner of a bar Billy frequented said that Billy was drinking and he relayed an incident where he rode three scab workers to Moon Island and he was reported to say, when I rode away, I could hear them screaming and yelling and splashing about as the tide came in. It was funny because they made the mistake of telling me they couldn't swim. The dirty scabs got what they deserved. Oh no. Yeah, so... This may or may not have happened, but hearsay potentially. We don't know. We don't know. It could be true. It could be something he said to try and scare people, too. He used to run his mouth off a lot. In fact, some people even would say, oh, that's just Billy running his mouth off. Like, Billy talks. He talks a big game, but he wouldn't actually do that. Hmm. It could be 100% fiction. We don't know because there is no actual evidence. Evidence. <laughs> if this episode were a drinking game, we would all end up dead. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'm already dead. I'm telling the story from beyond the grave. Kim's a ghost. I figure, though, right? Like, I'd die and I would still It'd have still to do shit. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't escape. Like, no matter what. This is, this is my life and my afterlife, folks. This is what I do for y'all. Do okay. what you love. Love what you do. <laughs> die and keep doing. doing. what you love. <laughs> Uh, I also feel the need to say that no matter how my views may have adjusted as to Ghoul's guilt or innocence, I am not saying he was a good guy. Because murder aside, he was a bully. And though he did fight to improve lives of workers and he advocated for women to unionize, he was horrifically racist towards non-white people. Oh, that's not cool. Not cool. So... Whether or not I, I now believe he's, he's guilty or innocent, I am not saying he is suddenly a paragon of virtue. He was not. Uh, so during this time, there was an uptick in the floater fleet that was being found in the rivers, like a lot. Between January and March of 1907, the bodies of 10 men were found. Dang. It was bad enough that the town got a new nickname, and that nickname was the Port of Missing Men. That's kind of a dead giveaway, if you ask me. But um, um, <laughs> a May 11th issue of the Grays Harbor Post ran with the headline, Two More Floaters. 
Yes, I know, Gabby. Have a laugh. There's a lot of things that y'all are probably laughing at at home if you have minds like Gabby. Sorry. It was becoming more and more common. What was notable about these two bodies, though, was the lack of money found on their persons. One of the bodies belonged to a man named J.B. Mears, who had disappeared in March on his way to deliver $700 that was owed to employees. The other body was also found devoid of valuables and money. However, the coroner found no cause to believe they had met with foul play, so it was determined the deaths were accidental drownings. I mean, like, you've got bodies that have been in the water for probably two months. It's feasible that anything that was in their pockets or in their persons floated away? Sure. Like, I don't know. Uh, Another man named John Anderson was found floating in the water and uh, had been there so long, his flesh had entirely disappeared from his skull. So people are starting to talk saying there's no way that all these bodies could have been there by accident. And the one thing is, is you, you know what? They're probably right. Aberdeen, still not a great place to live, still pretty rough and tumble. And the coroner at the time, A.C. Girard, is even quoted as saying, as long as Aberdeen allows the saloons and dives in which the worthless element carry on their nefarious practices, it may expect to find the bodies of murdered men at any time. Which, fair. That uh, is fair. But nobody's mind is going to, this is definitely one person. No. Well, serial killers, like, they existed. Yeah. But it was not something common enough where people would automatically assume the case. And even then, we didn't have really a word for it yet, at least not a contemporary word for it. We didn't have have our, our current term of serial killers yet. Right. So... What's kind of funnier still, Billy himself, he spoke out about the violence and he was critical of local law enforcement and their treatment of the entire situation. Which is either hella ballsy or, you know, he's being very sincere and uh, is, is, is just I don't talking know. about how he feels. It could also just be him trying to cover his butt and make it look like it's not him. It could be, like, grumble, grumble, grumble. Uh, Yeah, they need to do something about this. Because it's definitely not me. Grumble, grumble, grumble. So time passes. Deaths continue. Robberies continue. Accidents continue. Boats overturning. People being beaten. One man who turned up as a floater had been leaving the pub drunk on his return home. I can't imagine what could happen to a drunk man stumbling around in unstable streets in a port town. Who could think of something that could happen? Yeah, I can't imagine. So at one point, and honestly, this had never occurred to me before, but author Aaron Goings brings this up in his book. People look at that period and they're like, oh, look at how the drownings have increased. But like when you break it down, you know what else was increasing at the time? What? The population. That's true. So, yeah, prior to the year 1900, there weren't that many drowning deaths because there weren't that many people. And given how the population grew, the numbers of those drowning is actually not increasing that much. Because during this time period, 1900 and 1910, which is where we have that big growth in floaters, insert your laugh here. Whoa, 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 whoa. The population went from about 3,700 people to about 13,600. Dang. So that's a growth of about 10,000 people. That's a lot of people. And he breaks down those magic years where Ghoul is supposedly killing. And 1906 and 1908, 
Uh, of all the drowning deaths recorded during that time period, only one of them warranted an actual inquest. Really? Now, counter-argument. A local historian named Bill Lindstrom pointed out 41 of the bodies found had three things in common. that They were sailors, they were single, and they didn't have money in their pockets. Sure. He is, he is firmly on board the theory that Billy Ghoul is guilty of at least some of this murder train. Murder train. Murder train all aboard. And he thinks that this is pretty suspicious. He also points out that some of the bodies found were weighted down with bricks, which also may have been one of the inquests, but also, I don't know. I'm just like, where are y'all getting your facts from? Because the record keeping them was I don't know. I, 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 I don't know who to believe because, again, everybody is very, very firm in their own side of things. And they use the facts to tell that narrative. Sure. So in June of 1907, the body of Gabriel ousted... I probably said that name horribly, was found floating, and it was determined he had died prior to entering the water. Earlier that evening, he had been involved in an altercation at a bar, and there is absolutely nothing to link him to Billy Ghoul. Also, remember that story I told you at the beginning about the lore, that he would lure men to his office yep. and he would shoot them? Uh-huh, and then put them down the trash chute. Yeah, shooting them. That is an incredibly conspicuous thing. It is one thing to find a body floating in the river. It is another thing to find a body full of bullet holes floating in the river. Which you would still find even if it was, you know, you would know it was shot, even it, if it was found later. Exactly. The bullet holes aren't going to go anywhere. No. They're just they going to get be, more intense. Yeah, they might be mildly bloated. But, like, right. who isn't, you know? Amen. Amen, <laughs> sister. So... There's nothing in the coroner's reports that backs this up. And honestly, it seems like the number one cause of drowning was our good friend alcohol, and good luck arresting that bitch. She's hard to find. She's hard to find. She lives in this hall. You know who was on board with this theory, though, was, was Billy G himself. Uh, really? That alcohol was the culprit. He wrote a letter to the editor. He writes a lot of letters to the editor. He loved writing letters to the editor. It was his pastime. And he said... Wonder if those saloon keepers who induced to spend his hard-earned money for their rotten stuff will attend his funeral and say, there is another victim? No, sir. There will be no one of that brigade there because, forsooth, they are ashamed to acknowledge that the poison administered by them has brought the man to his early doom. That's so dramatic. Well, P.S., we totally need to go back to saying forsooth more. Hashtag bring back forsooth. Forsooth, bring back forsooth. So, like, as much as Billy enjoyed his daily drink or two, he ceased drinking by 1909. Oh, nice. So, he was using this, though, this argument about the general condition, the saloons, everything, to attack the desirability of Aberdeen as a place for sailors to actually settle down. Sure. Billy, though, Billy himself wasn't doing so well. He was continuing to suffer from a lot of money problems, and he also started having some health issues. He got a, a real bad case of blood poisoning. Oh, no. Bessie's running a boarding house, but it's, it's just not enough. And Billy really wanted to just elevate his family. And it wasn't happening fast enough. So by 1908, he declared bankruptcy, which I, I can't be the only one 
who hears Michael Scott in their head anytime you talk about bankruptcy. I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> yes, that's, that's accurate. I love The Office so much. <laughs> but like every time anyone says the word bankruptcy, I just have a tiny Michael Scott in my head that runs and screams that. Tiny anyway. Michael Scott. Tiny Michael Scott. Tiny Michael Scott. Former friends of Ghoul were becoming enemies. In fact, he was allowing the police to use rooms in Bessie's boarding house to carry out surveillance on possible cattle thieves and saloon law violators, including his former friend, Sigvold Jacobson. What a name. I know. That's the only reason I included it. That's kind of a fact you don't need to know, but Sigvold. That's a good name. It's a great name. I love that name. By 1909, Billy finally got his wish to continue his upward mobility, selling the boarding house and moving to Broadway Hill, which is Ooh, a neighborhood Broadway. away from the waterfront, a little more respectable. Ooh. Mm. Money problems hadn't stopped, though. Uh, so to make ends meet, Billy and his wife continued to rent out rooms in their new home, including a room to a sailor named Charles Hadberg. Oh, Hadberg. 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 The local business community is making no secret of their distaste of Ghoul. In fact, E.B. Ben, the recently elected mayor who stood firmly against Billy Ghoul, there was a lot of powerful people wanting to bring him down. So a pro-business faction hired a detective agency, the Field Detective Service Company, to dig up dirt. The founder was a former Pinkerton agent... And this service had a reputation for being hired to infiltrate or break up union issues. Oh, well, look at that. And this is the other thing. Can't find enough dirt? Can't find any dirt that's worth addressing? You know what a lot of the agencies did? What they do? Make it up? Make it up. Of course they did. So one man hired was a former logger named Patrick Patty McHugh. McHugh posed as a saloon keeper and buddied up to Billy. Billy considered him not just a friend, but started to think of him as a close friend. And it was from McHugh, who would later testify against Ghoul, that we get a lot of the really nefarious stories. Stories about Billy bragging about his crimes and murders. Which, can we just also unpack how awful and corrupt this is? I'm super suspicious of prison snitches. I'm going to put that out there. When I hear that somebody's arrested because of something a guy who shared a cell with him once said, I just don't trust it. Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. Billy himself started to notice that something was up when he was arrested in 1909 for allegedly stealing a bicycle from a prominent citizen. He proved the bike was his, but it gave the cops cause to search a nearby shack uh, of his that was found to have some, like, stolen robes that Billy said he got secondhand. I don't know. So his boarder, Charles Hadberg, testified on his behalf, and Billy was found innocent. And one paper reported that, quote, Gull says he is the victim of spite. Dun, dun, dun. I, too, have felt like I am the victim of spite. Dun, dun, dun. Have you ever felt like, have you or a loved one ever felt like you were the victim of spite? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we are goofballs. Okay. <laughs> Shortly after this, in December of 1909, Patty would report that uh, some associates of ghouls seem to have gone missing. Oh, look at that. How convenient. Charles Hadberg, his former roommate, man who testified about those robes. And a man named John Hoffman. 
According to Patty, during a conversation with Ghoul, he brought up that he had not seen either of these men in a while. Ghoul reportedly said to him, They didn't go away just for the holidays. They went away for good. You'll never see those two stupid loudmouth Siwashes here again. That you can bet on. So I had to look that up. What's a Siwash? A Siwash, it's not a term I'd ever heard before. It is apparently a derogatory term for an indigenous person. Oh, no. It comes from, I I will say the origin was kind of interesting. It comes from Chinook jargon. Siwash is the Chinook interpretation of the French word sauvage or savage. Oh. Yeah, no, my brain kind of went, oh, when I read that. Because uh, there, there's a there's like a famous rock that's called that. So Really? Yeah, and that was where my mind first went. I was like, wait, are they rocks? Uh, no, apparently it's it's a derogatory term. So that's your piece of random trivia for today amongst all this other trivia. You're welcome. Fun. Yeah. So this is reported to the police. So the police start looking and trying to find either of these men's bodies. They are not successful. We are going to fast forward to February 2nd of 1910. Two brothers, William and George Lightfoot, awesome names, discovered a man's body in the mud flats of Indian Creek. The man was submerged about a foot and a half in the water and had a 50-pound anchor secured to his body. Oh, that's helpful. He had been shot twice in the back of the head. And according to the Tacoma Times, Charles Hadberg, our friend Charles, Charles. met death while his back was turned to his murderer. This fact has been established beyond a doubt by an autopsy, which has been performed on the body. The work of the surgeons show that death resulted from two bullets, which entered the brain at the back of the head and ranged upward. Hatberg was dead, said the physicians, when the anchor was tied about the neck and his body thrown in the shallow water of Indian Creek. Dang. So Billy's arrested the next day, February 3rd. Apparently, he said when he was arrested, my God, that's a pretty serious charge. Send for my wife and attorney. I don't know why I find that funny, but I do. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. Um, Press pounced. Like, they not only locked onto this idea that he was guilty of of the murder of Charles Hatberg, but hey, remember all those floaters? I bet he did that, too. It should be noted that a lot of newspapers that were very quick to jump to this conclusion had connections to some of the big businesses in the community. Oh, look at that. How convenient. Interesting enough, the body, Charles's body, there was a wee bit of controversy surrounding its findings. Oh, just a wee bit. Well, controversy as to whether or not the body was actually Charles. Oh, no. Because people who had known him, remember, he was in the water for over two months. Or I guess, no, about six weeks, I guess, because he was, he was killed December 23rd-ish, December, sometime late December. He was discovered February 2nd. Um, people who knew him were not allowed to view the body or even try to ID the body. Interesting. And you've got Billy saying, dude, Charles moved to Alaska. And it's not like you can just FaceTime him and be like, hey, are you dead? <laughs> if he actually but- had moved to Alaska, to the wilderness, or to look for gold in 1910, good luck trying to track that dude down. He's That's gone. True. He's gone. That's true. Bitch is he- gone. <laughs> Bitch is gone. But the flip side, what a convenient excuse as to where somebody went. Sure. Where'd our friend go? Oh, he moved to Alaska. Air quotes. Where'd our dog go, Mom and Dad? We sent him to a farm upstate in Alaska. In Alaska. So I can see both sides of this. Uh, they did That's track fair. down a man named John Klingenberg. 
His names, man. Klingenberg, an associate of Ghoul's. He was detained and questioned for hours. He was promised immunity for any crimes if he testified against Billy. So he did. According to his affidavit, Billy had hired him and Charles to help him kill Hoffman. And he said that Billy shot Hoffman five times. They helped Billy tie an anchor to him and drop him in the Chehalis River. They have not found that body yet, though. Not and yet. then still there. <laughs> and then he said, I was walking up and down the cabin when Billy Gould came to me. He says to me, you take him. If you don't take him, I take him. I knew the meaning by that. Charles Hatberg had a revolver in his pocket. Then Billy Gould gave me a sign to shoot, and I'd done so, because I know if I had not done it, Billy Gould would have shot the pair of us. Yikes. And what's a bit weird, and, and Goings goes into more detail in the book, but like, of the two men, Klingenberg had more of a motive to kill them? Gould really? Didn't really? Huh. So there's parts, you know, he, he goes to trial and there's parts of the prosecution's case that just seem weird. Like, okay, according to this affidavit, the body was weighed down with an anchor and dropped in a specific point, but where the body was found was about 300 yards away from where it was supposedly dropped? There That's were weird. guns found by the body, yet the guns did not appear to be arrested, having been in the water for, again, at least a month. And they also seem to have traveled with the body. Huh. That's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, the defense, though, they didn't really offer up much, and he would be found guilty of murder in the first degree. He would be transferred to Walla Walla State Penitentiary, it should be noted Hoffman's body was never officially found or identified. Um, there were some various remains found at times that were thought to be Hoffman's. Human remains? Human, yes. <laughs> no, the remains of a dead skunk. And they said, oh, look oh. here. It's a Sasquatch. It's a Sam Squanch. Sam Squanch. Sam Squanch. Uh, as years passed with him behind bars, he was described as a model prisoner. His health began to decline, and on September 22nd of 1923, he was diagnosed to be suffering from a paranoid state brought on by our good friend, Syphilis. Ooh, Syphilis. Yeah. He was transferred to Eastern State Hospital, and he died there March 3rd of 1927. But his legend would continue to grow, and the more it grew, the harder and harder it became to separate what was fact and what was fiction. And I'm sure. so insanely conflicted on this because on the one hand, there's a lot of newspaper articles and I didn't even really include most of the really, really inflammatory stuff because uh-huh. it's so designed to be inflammatory. Sure. And designed to make him look not good. Um, but Goings makes a really compelling case. Because a lot of it does seem really off. And it, it reminds me a little of how I felt after I was researching Lizzie Borden, where I was like, well, on the one hand, there's some really interesting evidence. Evidence. To point to her not being guilty. But on the other hand, who else might have done it? <laughs> who knew? And honestly, who knows? I, I wouldn't be shocked if it kind of boiled down to him doing some not awesome things. And maybe some of those not awesome things were committed murders. But like killing 100 men, no. Killing 40 men, no. Not really. If for no other reason, then this guy was suffering from some serious money problems. So, like, if he was killing all these people for money, he would have been living a much better life. That makes a really good point because you would think that they would have used that as part of the reason why he didn't 
Well, that's where I say I feel like a big part of it was that his defense didn't seem to be that strong. That that Goings pointed out a number of 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 instances where it was like, why didn't the defense kind of pick more at this? Uh, be, I don't tough. know. It's 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 really tough. And if Billy was responsible for all these deaths, why were there still a bunch of floaters after his imprisonment? That doesn't make sense. Because they still did have a bunch of floaters after his imprisonment. So that's where I say, do, do I think it's possible he, he could have killed, I mean, at the bare minimum, been involved in, in some deaths of some scabs or even these, these gentlemen's deaths that he was accused of? Sure. Sure, why not? But killing 40 people, killing 100 people? No. No, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And the way he's portrayed, I don't know. I just have a really hard time buying it. Um, what do you think? I think those are some great details I did not know up until today, <laughs> first and foremost. Fair enough, fair enough. I just threw you uh, on the spot there. I, I know. I think that that's valid. I, I think this is, it seems like they just were trying to pin deaths on a dude who was shitty and already killed some people, like versus trying to figure out are there other culprits? Um, or even again, just, you know, booze. <laughs> booze, yeah. Or, or maybe have some, like, laws against stuff that would prevent death. That would be great. Um, but I don't think anyone thought of that at that point yet. So, Well, because you also, what do you have kind of rising up in this time? But yellow journalism is, is becoming increasingly more and more popular. Uh, and if, if anyone is unfamiliar with the term yellow journalism, um, it's journalism that is is based on like sensationalizing something on 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 making something seem worse and and it's the you know the paper boys extra extra read all about it you know killer hunting killer haunting london whatever it's it's <laughs> <laughs> but no it's 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 selling papers it's it's yeah it's getting the, attention the, the press realizing that people want these ghoulish stories these ghoulish tendencies within us yes. all uh, so why wouldn't they embellish? Right. Um, there is another historian who thinks that Goings has it all wrong, and he is apparently in the process of writing his own book. Uh, so once that's released, I might have to do a follow-up. Uh, That'd be fun. Yeah, because, like, there's so many different pieces to this and so much context I didn't realize sort of existed before. Like, when I yeah. when I heard this story, it never went that into his union dealings outside of him being kind of bloodthirsty. And yet the nuance of, of him as, as a political figure, essentially, and his standing in the community puts a really different spin on it where I'm like... Totally. I struggle with this idea that this was a guy who could just kill all these men and no one would notice what he was doing. And again, I, I think it is still extremely possible he was killing some people, but I think it, then it's more of an H.H. Holmes situation where the legend has just overtaken any truth. Yeah. Well, it's hard to know the, the line. Is it yeah, truth exactly. or is it not? And again, that comes back to if you want to read some of these inflammatory ar uh, articles, they're all over. They're, it's, you don't even have to go to any of the special places to find some of them. Um, 
they they report a lot of the the, the sensationalization, the the myth of of Billy Ghoul. Uh, that being said, I do want to talk ghosts pretty quickly <gasps> because ghosts. Billy does have some ghosts associated oh, with him. Yes, I think I know this one. Yes. So the most famous is a restaurant in Aberdeen called Billy's Bar and Grill. Wait, Wait. is it actually named after him? Oh, it, it's. Totally 100% named after him. It's right there in the name. They're like hardcore leaning into it, being like, yep. And they say the ghost of Billy Ghoul or possibly some of his victims haunt this restaurant. And there's, you know, cold spots, voices, flickering lights are really common, glasses smashing into the wall. The weirder still are the ones that seem to be picked up and flung at people. Oh, what? And there are even those that say the figure of Billy himself is seen sitting at the bar. All of this is well and good, except, so when Billy was living in Aberdeen, this place was not a bar and grill. No. Uh, it was, I believe it was a Red Cross. Oh. And his, you know, his supposed home base was close by, but it, it was not there. And there's not really a lot of reasons to think Billy was hanging out there a ton. Uh, a former Red Cross would also have plenty of reasons to have things haunting it. Sure. So I kind of have a hard time believing that it's Billy Ghoul himself who haunts there. I'm going to let listeners make their own decision up on that point. Now, our ghost hunting group, A Ghost, they had a chance to investigate there in May of 2018. I was not part of this investigation, unfortunately. Neither was I. They did experience some weird things, and I pulled this directly from the write-up that Ross Allison, who is head of our group, uh, what he put together from their experiences at the investigation. So a mug fell off the bar when no one was around, which is all by itself, that's weird. But the absolutely bonkers thing that happened was an image that was caught on a thermal camera. And we will post this to our Instagram. We'll credit a ghost because uh, it was their picture. But y'all, in this picture, you clearly see first one of our investigators sitting at the bar. There is also a very distinct second figure a figure of a person and what's funny like no one else from the group was there it was just the one person sitting at the bar but this other person you're seeing in this picture has a cooler temperature than our investigator sitting at the bar dang yeah chills it's no it is a super compelling picture uh do again do i think it's the ghost of billy based on all the evidence evidence a personally i don't but I, do I think th- it's somebody. Yeah, I think there are spirits there, definitely. Uh, but I, I, again, I think we have a habit, and by we I just mean people, of assuming that a famous name must be attached to a haunting. And yeah. it's like, well, but why? Why can't it be any of the other hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people who have died in this area? I mean, we talked about that on, like, Oh, multiple, multiple occasions. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple times we've brought this up. So, um, that is Billy Ghoul, the port of missing men and, uh, a case in which I still feel like there is a lot more to kind of digest and, and talk about and look into, but, uh, there you have it y'all. There you have it. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. It's very appropriate. It's like Billy ghoulish tendencies. Ba-dum-bump. But that does bravo. Bravo, Kim. Thank you. And this brings us to...
Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim, what you watching? Uh, well, I do feel like I have to give one more shout out to The Board of Missing Men by Aaron Goings, just because I, I found it fascinating. It goes into much more depth about some of the union issues, which I super glossed over because there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So if you want to do a little deeper dive, pick up a copy of the book. I got my copy at Elliott Bay, one of my favorite spots on the planet. Um, but I'm still smack dab in 100 Days of Horror at the time of this recording, I just finished uh, in our countdown, number 74. I've watched a couple interesting movies, some not-so-interesting movies, some downright <laughs> god-awful movies. But I, I watched one called The Clove Hitch Killer. Ooh. Clove Hitch Killer was quite good. It was streaming on Netflix. And um, the premise of it is, is it's obviously inspired by our good old friend and my pen pal, BTK. Ooh. For those of you who don't know, <laughs> so how many Kim times do you it. bring it up? I, well, you mentioned it. Kim has a, a nice pen pal. He is no, the, no, the no. BTK. Wrote me once. He wrote me wrote, once. That wrote is not a pen once. pal. That's this man who wrote <laughs> me a letter once. Pen pal. I was making a. You. It was a punchline, girl. It was a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, the, the movie is obviously inspired by the BTK case in which a 16-year-old boy who lives uh, in a small town in Kentucky and he's in the super conservative, super Christian family. And the, the town in which he grew up um, is, is kind of haunted by the Clove Hitch killer, who is a, a serial killer who had killed, I think it was 10 young women before 10 years ago, he just disappeared. He stopped killing, as far as they could tell. And this this 16-year-old boy starts to wonder. He finds some things that makes him think that maybe his father is this killer. And it was the... Uh, Dylan McDermott plays the dad, and he's fantastic. Nice. He's, he's so stinking good. Um... It was it was really really interesting. It kept my attention the whole time. Uh, I love. I'm a sucker for this kind of of killer mystery, where you have the. I mean, like we we all know where it's going, but it was still just really compelling. The acting across the board was really really good. I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity to. Um, Maybe explore a little bit more of this whole small town, and and this small town, this Christian small town, and and the repression and what it can lead to. But it's still, I just thought was a, a really really interesting watch. So I, nice. you can watch it on Netflix. I highly recommend it. I also watched a movie called Amsterdam. I saw you post about that. It was, I was amazing. Like, That's such a good pun. I really enjoyed it. I was like, Gabby is going to love the crap out of this pun. Um, yes. It's a uh, a Dutch slasher film. Nice. And I watched it on Shudder. And it, it's just really fun. Like, the killer is killing in the canals. So you have this, like, underwater killer. And, and obviously the director was... He, he pulls influences from all these other movies. Like, there's references to Jaws. There was references to Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, you can see he's really enjoying this. Uh, it, it's ridiculous, but really, really fun. So if you're a fan of just ridiculous slasher films, this is maybe one that's not been on your radar before. Amsterdam's. 
I recommend it. I'll have to, to message uh, Betsy and see if she's watched this one because I think she would name. dig it. Yeah, it sounds like something that would be up her alley for it's, sure. It's super, super fun. So uh, that's that's kind of what I've been watching. What have you been watching, Gabby? I have been watching quite a bit of things. Um, okay. The usual trash TV sure. of um, TLC and Darcy and Stacy, which is totally. a spinoff of 90 Day Fiance, and it's just... That is where my brain goes when oh. it wants to shut off. Fair, so fair, that fair. and like Bob's Burgers. That's I go between the two of those. Um, but I, one of the things that I watched this last week, I'm not going to talk about this week. I'm going to talk about it um, for our next Creepy Critics Corner because uh-huh. it's relevant to the next episode. But it is research purposes. So I will dangle you with more Ooh. Creepy Critics Corner then. Um, however... I don't know if those of you who have Discovery Plus have kind of gone down the rabbit hole of true crime stuff on Discovery Plus, but I did. And uh, what really stood out to me recently was the show with Billy Jensen. And so if you know Billy Jensen, he worked with Michelle McNamara on Mm -hmm. um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Mm -hmm. He has his own book. He's got a podcast. He does like investigative journalism really intelligent guy does really great work and he has a show called unraveled the stalkers mm. web oh i'd seen that I, I i don't get discovery plus so i you have not come been able over i'll watch it with you Yay. i'll watch it again um but i think you would really like it mainly because it's a really interesting take on um a crime that happened that is very much like our childhood and adulthood of the internet and growing up with the internet and not knowing who you're talking to in a chat room when you have AOL, you know, like that kind of stuff. And then also mail, you've got mail, but also knowing the kind of like debauchery that people can get away with, um, not having, a physical presence and being able to create multiple mm. accounts and like just doing things to mess with people. And it's interesting because part of it actually takes place in Seattle. And I didn't realize that until I started watching it. Oh. And um, it's, it's really good. I think you would like it a lot, um, okay. but they actually get like people who were impacted by this stalker um, to tell their stories and what they went through. And it's like a, basically like interviews with these people Hmm. and then recaps and Billy Jensen shows up at the door of this dude (laughs) and like, they won't let him in the house, but it's like the greatest moment. It's really, it's really interesting. I'm not going to give anything else away. It's great. Um, I believe when I looked up the name of it, I didn't realize that there was another show and it, it, it's a, it's a special. So it's not like multiple episodes. It's like, an hour or something, hour and a half long, but there's another one called unraveled, um, about a serial killer. And mm-hmm. I really want to watch it now cause I haven't seen it. So that's on my to-do list for, uh, discovery plus, um, with Billy Jensen. Cause anything Billy Jensen touches, I will read or listen to or watch. So highly recommend that. Okay. That was really great. Um, but yeah, other than that, still trash TV. You know, I gotta have my balance. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta live your best life. I mean, again, I'm continuing to watch um, both Stargate, like it's going out of style, and not a show that's been off the air for like a decade. Uh, 
as well as what am I like all the weird stuff I start watching, like Parks and Recreation. I watch I obsessively. I, I will so never good. get tired of that show. Um, like we all have our our comfort TV and our. I have my sleepy time shows because I I have to fall asleep to TV, so I call them my sleepy time shows instead of sleepy time tea. It's sleepy yes, time tea. I have that. That's been Bob's Burgers for me lately. Mm-hmm. But I also I forgot to tell you, Brooklyn Nine Nine just came out with just, their last season, yeah, and so just came we back. actually just started watching the first couple episodes of that too, which it's nice. great. It's always I love that show. I'm a couple seasons behind. I've been watching it religiously, and then it just there's a few shows that for whatever reason when they came back. I got so far behind that I was like, I'll catch up later, and then I haven't caught up. And it's one of those, at some point, I'll go back and start at the start and rewatch through. Today is not that day. Tomorrow's not looking so good either. (laughs) At some point in time. Well, you know, Betsy Sodaro, who was on Mm -hmm. our our episode recently, who's on uh, a Funny Feeling podcast, her podcast partner, Marcy Jero, is a writer on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And so it's very funny. She's very funny. She's also she also has a podcast with Nicole Byer about 90 Day Fiance called 90 Day Bay, which I also listen to constantly, <laughs> and that's the only reason I watch 90 Day Fiance, <laughs> so I can listen to that podcast. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. If you're looking for it, it's on Patreon. Uh, but yeah, anywho, that's a plug for them. Uh, <laughs> but thank you all for listening. Um, if you would like to find us on social, just look us up, Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast, on mm-hmm. any social media platform, you will find us. Um, our website is ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our mm-hmm. social needs are on there, as well as our uh, references and show notes, as well as literally any information you want to know about our podcast. It's all on there. We also have a um, Twitter, which is Ghoulish Podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> Never say it right. <laughs> Ghoulish Podcast. Ghoulish Podcast. And we also would love and appreciate if anyone wants to head on over to our Patreon and support us there. We do have a Patreon account under Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Some fun things on that end of the spectrum. And if you, you know, don't have the financial means to do that, but want to tell us how much you enjoy this podcast, feel free to go over to Apple podcasts and leave us a review and a rating. And actually we recently got a new review. Our most recent review is from July from Caitlin LT. She said, love Discovered this podcast a while back on Instagram, and I finally decided to check it out recently. I'm a huge true crime fan and also a big paranormal nerd. Welcome. This is It's our people. Our people. I've been a listener of one of the most popular true crime podcasts by women for years, but have recently given up on it because it's gone very downhill and was looking for something to fill the true crime shaped hole in my free time. I've also never really found a paranormal podcast I liked enough to listen to regularly. Enter ghoulish tendencies. Kim and Gabby's ability to blend true crime and the paranormal banter, research, topic choices, and Mulder and Scully relationship makes my little weirdo heart so happy. Thanks, ladies. Oh, that makes me so happy. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you. So anyone who would love to leave us reviews like that, you can see the the authentic joy just coming through the microphones, through your ears, uh, as Kim has never heard that review before. I am not. I I don't check just because... It's tough to look at reviews. It's tough. There was another podcast I'm a part of. uh, Somebody left a negative review, and it was something like, I didn't like the woman. 
she laughed too much. Oh, no. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm the only woman on it. So it was me. Weird. I'm the laugher. I'm the laugher. Sorry, y'all. I laughed too much. My bad. Uh, so I try, I try not to, like, I don't look at them a lot cause, because of that. They, they, it, it, it destroys my fragile ego. So uh, that's lovely. That's a very yes. sweet, sweet So if you would read. love to make us feel lovely, feel free to go on there and leave us a nice little review. <laughs> but having said that, thank you so much for listening. And stay, stay spooky. spooky.